Welcome to Adult Siblings Versus, a podcast where a grown-ass brother and sister put aside their childhood rivalry in order to review the subtle pieces of pop culture. I'm your co-host, Jason S. Loverette. And I'm your other co-host, Ariel Loverette. Oh, Ariel, it is spoopy time. It is the spoopiest time of the year. Yeah, it's a little, it's... It's a time where ghosts and goblins and girls and other scary things go out into the night and wreak havoc uh, but you know only the ugly chicks stay out so oh no don't say that <laughs> hey i'm I'm just quoting everyone's favorite person ever ernie aka ice yes such a beloved character that I didn't even write him down in the cast list anyway <laughs> today we are looking at a a halloween classic a film that uh, dizzy put out years ago that did not do well in the short term but ended up being a huge hit on home video and then a yearly staple and every halloween on network television and cable television we're talking about disney's hocus pocus Thackeray Beaks. we are continuing our kathy nadimathon after last week's In Search of Dr. Seuss, I I know that she is a actress that had a big impact on you in your childhood as she just kind of showed up and everything. And as for me, I have trouble thinking about her as anything other than the arrogant Peggy Hill. <laughs> Before we get started into Hocus Pocus, you know, there's a little bit to talk about, but I do want to remind everybody that if you would like to send us an email in which you do things like, I don't know, Tell us how much you love our podcast. Tell us how how important our podcast is to you. Give us some things you'd like to see on our podcast. And any other positive thing. No negative stuff because negative stuff makes me sad. Yeah, no bummers. No bummers. <laughs> AdultSiblingsVersus at gmail.com is our email address. You can also send us a tweet at AdultVersus on Twitter. And you can always reach out to us on Facebook. Someone reached out to us on Facebook. It was great. Oh, good. It, I'm glad that you checked I, that because I used to uh, have access to it. Oh, yes. That's weird. Hocus Pocus, a movie we watched a lot as kids, for mm-hmm. sure. I remember watching it a lot. I definitely have not watched it in, in at least 20 years. I, I cannot remember the last time I watched this movie. But when this came out, I would have been, I would have been under eight years old. So you would have been way young. Like, what is your what is your memory of this film from childhood? You know, I just, I feel like, I remember like the aesthetic of a small town very well. I remember the, the grown-up party and the fantastic Bette Midler number very well. And I remember hating Danny quite a bit. And I just, you know, I, I think I've always enjoyed the, the three sisters. I mean, I think the Sanderson sisters are like really the gem of this movie. And so I found them very entertaining as a kid. And I still find them very entertaining as an adult. Let's go ahead and talk about the film. So Hocus Pocus is a film that came out uh, in 1993. From what I understand, the film was... The, the the script was purchased by Disney in 1984, and it apparently took them years to actually get going in production of the film. They eventually did. The original script, from what I understand, or at least an early version of the script before it got to the proper pre-production, uh, apparently the, it was called uh, Disney's Halloween House and was apparently supposed to be uh, a much 
uh, scarier film. Like it was supposed to be a darker film altogether. And I, I don't even want to think about what that would have done to this film. Like I think that uh, that would make it a completely different movie if they were to do that. But somewhere along the lines, it, it got uh, made a bit more family friendly, I guess. And I also supposedly at some point in pre-production, they were thinking about having this actually be a uh, made-for-TV film as opposed to a theatrical release that they ultimately... And I don't know if that's true. Like, no one 100% knows if, that, if that's true or not. But they did ultimately go to the theatrical release, and they were working on a $28 million budget, which is, you know, a reasonable, a reasonable budget for something, like, especially with all its practical effects. But it only grossed... 42.6 million and while you would say oh that actually sounds like it it did it, it made some money yet yeah, maybe it might have with the box office except when you take in consideration the cost of advertising as i've mm. as we've said a couple times uh, advertising cost tends to be f- an additional 50 percent to 100 percent of the initial budget so we're saying 28 million we're actually looking at probably the cost of the film being twice that Potentially, which means that 42.6 is definitely, even if it, if the numbers say it's not a bomb, it is a disappointment. Like Disney probably lost money on this film for sure. Now, probably for, probably for sure. Yeah, I'm very good at speaking English, guys. <laughs> now, where this movie ends up being successful is in the home video market, as it did very well at home video. And basically for years and years, Disney could guarantee $1 million every Halloween for the purchase of this film, probably including the, the, the first year, as this movie actually came out in July. So that's already, after years of that, they probably have made their money back for sure and made some profit. Then also take consideration that this is one of those Halloween movies that has been endlessly played on television for decades. Even these days, there's probably still folks that play it. So when you think of the costs of that, you know, Disney's really Disney's really seen a profit in the long term, but not in the short term, which makes this makes this what you call a cult classic. Well, just like honestly, I remember like as a kid, you know, you go to your friend's house for some cute little like afternoon Halloween thing, maybe carving some pumpkins and getting some donuts and things, and you have hocus pocus playing in the background you got yourself a good day and when you're tired of talking to uh your friends because you're socially awkward you just take a couple minutes and just sit down and watch some hocus pocus now this now this movie uh was directed by kenny ortega now i i looked up kenny ortega and he is a very okay so his thing is that he's a director and he's a choreographer and he's done the choreography for a lot of musical acts and a lot of films uh, he has done a good chunk of directing. A lot of his directing is with television or Disney-related productions. Specifically, he is the director of all three High School Musical films, including the theatrical one. Mm-hmm. And he's also the person who directed The Descendants, another Disney Channel series of things so oh right for a second i was definitely thinking of something different <laughs> a different descendants and i was like what? yeah actually uh so th- actually i should i should say this is descendants i think there's another movie called the descendants i think that stars george clooney <laughs> yeah <laughs> very very different thing in my mind uh, disney's descendants is a series of tv movies about the children of various disney villains that i have not watched one single second of 
Oh, yeah. Heavens no. But anyway, the fact that this guy has kind of been known for being Disney's go-to director for their really big budget TV movies kind of lends a little bit of credence to the idea that that Hocus Pocus was originally supposed to be a TV movie. And maybe somewhere down the line, they decided to, to up the budget and put it in theaters. I don't know. I wasn't there. So can't say for sure. But... I, I don't know much about Kenny Ortega, but I have always thought Ortega was a cool last name. I feel like you can tell in this movie, because there's a lot of specific movement to the sisters. I feel like you can tell that the director is also a choreographer, because he seems to be probably giving them very, very distinct direction about their movements. That's that's fair. Um, so uh, the screenplay was written by... Mick Garris and Neil Cuthbert. And we've now talked about everything I know about this film. I actually don't have a lot of information about the, the background of this film. I, have, I know a little bit about the casting, which we'll get into when we talk to characters. So Ariel, normally I do the brief story introduction. I feel like this might be one of this might be a movie that's more for you than for me. Would you like to do the, the, the story description for a change? Well, sure. I'll do the story. I, yeah, I'll, I'll mix it up. I'm going to say it totally wrong now. Okay, cool. Um, all right. <laughs> so the movie uh, Hocus Pocus, uh, so the movie starts uh, in Salem, Massachusetts in the 1600s. Uh, a young man, Thackeray Banks. Thackeray with a T-H, what a not a Z. Nonsense. Nonsense. Like just, I feel like they do it just to ruin your day. Thackeray Binks wakes up uh, looking around for his sister, realizes that she has been uh, taken by the local witches, uh, causing shenanigans. Uh, So he runs to rescue her. Poor younger sister, Emily, young child, gets murdered very quickly. So for like two minutes in, a child has been murdered. Not that quickly, because I didn't notice it until this. They steal her her life energy, and then you see her hair turns gray, and it's like covering her face. She's moving in the background for a while, Ooh. super slowly. And what's going on there? Is the actress just not standing still enough, or is she is like a crazy old lady now who's just slowly dying of old age? Fuck. Oh, God. I hope it's just the kid actor. If that's the scenario, and she is... Oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, that makes it a lot more grim. Uh, Meanwhile, Sarah Jessica Parker's in the foreground dancing. (laughs) We'll assume that the kid is just shit at acting. Um, The sisters uh, who have caught uh, Thackeray and and Winifred, the the main leader, zaps him a bit and uh, they turn him into a cat and curse him to be a cat for the rest of time. The townspeople catch the witches, uh, who are Winifred, Sarah, and Mary. Uh, they catch them, about to hang them. Uh, they do a spell that will make it so uh, one day on Oh Hallow's Eve, a virgin will light the black candle, black flame candle, and they will rise again. So fuck y'all. And they are hanged. And uh, yeah, the Thackeray's parents never know what happened to them. So it cuts to modern times where the nun from Blues Brothers is telling the story to the class and how the hey, sisters uh, hey, can, I, can I interject? Can, not... I, can I interject really fast? Oh. 
Because, yeah. like, uh, going back to the hanging scene, I kept thinking when they're, like, in the noose that, like, I was waiting for one of the witches to say, I turned the wrong man into a cat is the witch of why I'm here. I love that always. Thank you for that. Because that is always in my head. And I have made very serious movies less serious thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> uh, don't hang people. Uh, okay. So, yes. So we're in modern times. Uh, the the nun from Blues Brothers is telling this story of the Sanderson sisters and about how they will not return to this world until they've redeemed themselves. Oh, no, that's the wrong movie. Um, so we meet Max, who is a teen who is freshly new to Salem from L.A. He meets Allison, a vapid young girl who's pretty. Uh, he has already gotten into, you know, shenanigans with other teenage boys. He's getting picked on. Uh, he goes home and he's harumphing. And uh, he has to take his sister out for Halloween, who is uh, Danny, who is an annoying little spitfire. And they come across Allison while trick-or-treating, and they decide to go to the Sanderson sisters' home, which was turned into a museum, but is now closed down and even spoopier. And uh, he declares that he is soups a virgin and lights that candle, and the well, he doesn't dec- witches he doesn't, come back. He doesn't declare it. I mean, he doesn't go like, hey, guys, I'm a virgin. He just happens to light the candle and also be a virgin. No, he goes... He reads it. He was like, only a virgin can light the the black flame candle. And he takes his lighter and goes, well, let's light this sucker. I have never seen a teenage boy so quick to acknowledge his virginity to a girl he likes. Bless his heart. Um, Anyway, (laughs) so he lights the candle and the Sanderson sisters are back, and there's hell to pay. And so the rest of the movie is they it's the sisters trying to stay alive and, and do their um, child-draining spell before sunrise, and the kids are trying to stop them before they can become immortal. Yeah. So I guess, well, the next question is, uh, Jason, what do you think of the plot? How, how do you kind of remember this movie uh so i remember this movie being beefier as a child and watching this it feels significantly more thin and i think i know why i think it's because our protagonists are completely unlikable and yeah it it, it is troubling like you were talking smack about uh <laughs> about uh danny the little girl Max is no good. Uh, he's off. Oh yeah, Ma- let let me just say, Max is also no good. But I I I think I have a a personal anger at Danny because she disgraces the name of little sister. <laughs> like I don't like her being. I don't like. I, and this is like like legitimately since childhood. I don't like her being a representative of our people. <laughs> I mean, like it's also different because their age gap is larger than ours was so like mm-hmm. they would have probably have a different relationship than, than than we would have had so if i was a little older it that might have affected things i mean you might have been similar and like kind of like the annoying younger sister to the aloof older brother you know what i mean yeah yeah although 
I don't, I can't imagine that they would ever be a scenario that I could shrilly scream for our mom because I'm mad. I can't think of a time that that ever would have been okay. It's, it's actually kind of a, a funny thing because I thought the movie was actually kind of long. And I actually don't remember if it was, it, if it was long, but it felt long. And It's like an hour 38. That is long. That's long for a movie like this. Yeah. And like, because, so like when you have so much, so you, you, we'll, we'll talk more about it in the characters, but there, we have like these protagonists who are, none of them are interesting. Some of them have traits that are outright annoying. The only interesting character is Thackeray Binks, who does a lot less in this movie than I remember. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I remember him being like a wisecracking, super useful sidekick character who was the only one who knew what was going on. And in this, is just, he's mostly just there to occasionally say things, mostly not say anything. And, and mostly just like get mad at Max. Just He's just there to go like, smooth move, Max. Smooth move, x Basically. <laughs> and then like, you know, there's the, also kind of the weird thing where the movie ends but then it actually turns out there's like a whole other act after that. Right. Yes. Because like I also remember there not being that much to the movie. Because at some point in the movie, they defeat the Sanderson sisters by locking them in a furnace. A giant furnace that apparently exists in this high school, which I just have been having trouble wrapping my brain around what this actually is and how it works. Oh, I, I thought it was like the like the kiln... In the art department. I mean, yeah. You know, like when you're like. Yeah, but like it was like a walk in stove. I mean, like, do schools really have those things where you can, where you could theoretically burn a student to death that way? I mean, I don't, I don't know. I feel like I don't know what like other schools that aren't like <laughs> inner city public schools may or may not have. Like if if you went to a school where you had the option of luring someone to a fiery death in a flame chamber i would love to hear that's it. true Send- that seems like yeah <laughs> that is very fair that seems like something you would not allow in a high school i mean like high school kids are cruel so like i could totally see some malicious kid lock on some nerd into a fire ch- chamber as a joke and then accidentally burn him to death and you don't hear that too much in uh in the news so i assume this because there is not. I assume it doesn't not happen because kids aren't that bad. I think it doesn't happen because they don't have the opportunity to burn each other to death that way. I'm pretty sure they would do it a lot more often if they all had access to it. You're speaking truth. Uh, this is this is this all makes sense. Yeah. In, in any event, uh, so they 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 burn the sister sisters to death. They don't die. They apparently turn into green dust and then re like like form. I guess I don't really, I don't understand the rules of their their second life uh but they 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 survive and i remember thinking that there's only like a little bit after that like like this leads directly into the climax there's like another 20 minutes of this film at least yeah at least three more get them at least three more confrontations with between the sanderson sisters and the protagonists after they're defeated and man by the time we got to that third one i was just like man i could have swore this movie ended a long time ago like it, it is it is it is tough something i noticed about this film and i, I want to know if you agree i kind of thought that a lot of the special effects of this film actually held, hold up pretty well i agree you know even with the the cat stuff like yeah it's it's older but honestly it kind of just looks like the 
the movement of a cat like in a video game, you know? Not the best quality, but not horrible. Yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely a couple of sequences that definitely did not look great. But I think a lot of this film being like, I think like, I, I think I remember hearing that this might have been the first movie that um, Disney used uh, computer generated animation or computer generated imagery in but the vast majority of this film is all practical effects and i think a lot of things like you know like the ground moving like Mm -hmm. a lot like the colors that were like kind of being flirted around looked as good as anything else like i I don't think there's anything inherently dated about a lot of those practical effects so i thought that was pretty uh a surprisingly enjoyable thing to to see there practical effects age better the directors yeah they they producers they sure do uh their town salem i don't know if salem's like this but salem is super into halloween in this movie and they're super into the legend of the sanderson sisters to the point that the dang teacher is hosting a lesson about it to her high schoolers and they're into it like 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 max is like viewed as like the weirdo for not being into it and he strikes out with a attractive girl because he's not into it which is weird and i don't like i don't know i feel like i i'm having not even been to salem i would imagine that if you live in salem you might feel a little tired of the witch stuff at this point yeah i i feel like if this were a different small town because i do think sometimes small towns get really into like the one thing that makes them interesting and they're like this is our history and we are so proud of this little thing but the fact that it's Salem like if they had just named it a different town in Massachusetts like it's you know like two towns over and they have this thing and they're super proud of it I think it would have been better but I feel like if if it's Salem you have enough stuff going on with all the witch trials in general, not just the Sanderson sister thing, that I, yeah, I don't think they would be that jazzed. Yeah, you know, um, it's going to turn out that this takes place in Salem, Ohio, isn't it? <laughs> God, that's why they suck. But e- even so, it's just, I feel like even if the town was super into it, and if the teacher was like, yeah, I'll teach this to my students, who have probably heard the story multiple times a year, for their entire lives at this point. You know, like, I feel like teenagers probably would still be bored by it, you know? They probably want to do other stuff. But I would say, sometimes you just get your teacher going because you're not doing work. Oh, yeah, that's true. Like, you you might be like, tell me more, tell me more. Like, did they have a car? Because you're just trying to, you're just trying to wait out that clock. And if you can get her on her thing, and she's like, oh, my students are so into this. I'm so happy. And she forgets that you were definitely supposed to have a quiz. You got to do what you got to do. So I feel like a lot of the stuff I want to talk about with this movie are are tied to characters. So I'm trying to hold my tongue for now. I'm trying, trying to think of other things that uh, were kind of neat about this film or something that kind of weirded me out. Oh, one thing that bugged me, and I think maybe this is a, a thing about just, I don't know, 90s movies and, and, and or just dynamics i i hate the like the the dynamics like with the parents just what different worlds they're in like so in the movie you know max comes across the bullies and he gets his shoes stolen and he comes home and he's in a complete huff he's like he comes in yelling like i hate this place 
without shoes and storms up to his room and his parents are like ah this seems like he's just fucking protesting like it it like didn't occur to like because he's not wearing shoes like he comes home without shoes and they're just like I don't know. He's just—he's probably just being a little prick, and and that's it. And I and I feel like there's a lot of that. This kind of just a complete flippancy to their kids, and it just kind of bums me out. Yeah, there seems to be a lot of lack of empathy towards towards Mac, uh, towards Max from his parents over the situation. Now, I'm not saying that Max isn't being a prick throughout the film, because uh, he is, and we'll talk about it, but. I mean, he is kind of in a really shitty scenario. Like, he being moved across the country when you're a teenager and having to start over is got to be at least pretty traumatic. You know, like, you, you're you old enough where you're yeah. starting to formulate things like an adult, but you're still, like, super emotional and still easy to react, really quickly easy to react to things. I mean, like, if your parents take you from California to the East Coast, it's going to be a shock. And his parents kind of are like, Oh, you're just you're just gonna have to deal with it, you know. I mean, I'm not saying they shouldn't have moved. Although a lot of parents wait to till their high schoolers are in college before they do that. But if he comes home very frustrated about living there, it seems at the very least you should you know talk to him about it. Like just be like, hey, I, like I know this is tough, but you know, like um, you know, I I believe in your ability to be able to adjust here, and you know what, like let's try to work out something to make the transition for you as easy as possible. Because I think that's your duty as a parent to make your child as comfortable as possible with the hard decisions that you have to make. Yeah, maybe just you know, maybe parent your child instead of contemplating how lit you're gonna get at the party tonight. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, but I, I'm kind of curious as to why they moved. Like they don't. They don't talk at all about why it was. Like, my assumption is that someone got a job, a new job or a job transfer. If it turns out that they just wanted to change, they're bad parents. <laughs> Unless there was something rudimentally important to them on the deep, deep level. There is no reason to force your teenager to move in the middle of their high school experience on a whim, right? Like, move for your job move because something bad happened in your old place, move because you yourself are having a hard time functioning where you are and you have to be able to be able to function like a person in order to raise a kid. These are great reasons to move. Moving because you you just you just like the fall weather and you you miss it. Uh, I knew it was going to be I was like, yeah, you you just miss them fall colors. Got to see those leaves change. No, that's so. that's, that's a bad reason. Like you wait till that kid goes to goes to college and you're yeah fucking retire in on the east coast if you want like that's it's just it's just mean to me and i don't know why they moved because they don't tell us and we don't know anything about his parents at all other than the dad had a bad halloween costume and the mom i now know is appropriating gay culture (laughs) as she uh dresses like madonna during the film and this is madonna 1993 so you know People are still voguing, but I'm assuming since this is a Disney film, people were voguing two years ago, and Disney's catching up. Sure. Well, it's fine, because she's a mom, so that makes okay, sense. Sure. That that tracks. I mean, even even that mindset of no empathy for Max kind of bleeds to Danny, too, as Danny just, like, does not care that he's having a hard time, which, you know, she's an eight-year-old, so how much empathy can she have? But I bet you anything that her lack of empathy comes from her parents. You know, it's like, you just got, you, yeah. Like, I want to go home. Well, this is home now, so get over it. Like, okay. Oh, yeah. No. Once again, that scream, that tells you right there 
how much they really pay attention that she could just scream at the top of her lungs as a as an eight-year-old and that seems to be fine like no they they clearly aren't doing anything with those kids speaking of parents so i know this is not the era of cell phones we're well before that but did you think it was kind of weird because like so allison is the love interest character who accompanies uh the siblings on their witch adventure and they meet up with her at her house at her house at her parents halloween party and then she kind of goes off with them and then doesn't come back at all and at some point she wakes up at 5 a.m and realizes that oh it's 5 a.m i need to get home i'm surprised that they're that uh, we didn't hear anything about her parents reaction to her being missing like her max and danny's parents are are definitely zit zatnatized at a halloween party so um, due to the standard sisters. So we know why they're not around, right? But with Allison's parents, from their point of view, their their daughter might be dead, right? Like, she just goes yeah. missing. I feel like it's like a plot hole that the writers are just hoping you won't notice. Because I really do think that they forgot that there's a whole... They make it seem like every parent in the town or at, or at this like town hall party. But there is definitely... A whole sep- at least one whole separate party full of adults, including her parents, who haven't been hypnotized by witches. And I really think that they're just hoping that you forget that that's a thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, like there's a scene uh, late in the movie uh, where the children of the town are, are zapnetized by, by Sarah's theme and just march over to their doom and... It's kind of like the opposite of the sequence from the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie where all the adults are hit, are hypnotized into jumping to their doom. Oh, is that the, with, with the, the ooze? With Ivan Ooze. Is that the... God. Yeah. We <laughs> might do that sometime. Yeah, I think this is just a, a, a trope from back then. Like, is that, like hypnotize people into hypnotizing parents into dying and hypnotizing people into zombie walking to a grisly fate feels like you know what i I actually can see why that's kind of like a bloodless thing to do that's still scary right like it's a tension building thing where it's like oh man all these people are are screwed if they unless the heroes can stop it without anyone actually dying or getting injured simple way of doing it but anyway you have to think that some of those parents had to be there not every single parent was at the town hall party and like you said a good do- at, at least like i feel like that's like the poor party the rich parents went back home i just have to assume that it's only the poor kids that uh that got hypnotized <laughs> the, the rich kids couldn't get past the security gates in their in their cul-de-sac <laughs> classism strikes again <laughs> only the poor are affected the institutionalized racism was uh, played a big role in the sanderson sisters re- uh, resurrection <laughs> oh god <laughs> um, one other thing I want to talk about that we can move on to characters because some of this is going to tie into the characters so this is kind of a segue so many of the characters in this movie just do dumb things for the sake of the plot even the Sanderson sisters yep. who like you are my favorite part of this film but there's so many instances of characters just being dumb so that a thing can happen as opposed to being dumb because of character work because you know spoiler alert not a lot of character going on in here but something that really fucking bothered me was the fact that the Sanders sisters won, they won. Like they had, they yeah. they succeeded. They had 
brewed potion. And even though Max had rescued his sister, who had bit, who they were going to feed off of using the potion to completely resurrect themselves, he 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 knocked over the bowl, but he they were able to salvage enough for one person, which is all they need to get through morning. And there's an army of zombie children who who were summoned, who they could pick any single one of them to eat. They could eat that kid, become immortal at least for the night. They, they would keep themselves from dying, eating one kid, then go murder these main characters. That's all that had to happen. But Winnie was so dead set on eating Danny, which I guess, you know, listening to you, I guess you might actually kind of relate to that. But he was so dead set on, on, <laughs> Bitch on, go. on killing that girl. Not just killing her, but feeding off her specifically that instead of taking time for a for a lunch break and then going back to work they went straight to work and then that's how they get defeated ultimately because they they dick around too much and then they are killed by the sun and it's just like if you had just eaten you could have eaten one of those bullies apparently they're right there yeah, have a have a have a cliff bar to tide you over and then go to the thick it's... although and and mind you if this is the case it is unclear and poorly written but because I was wondering the same thing and they have that and Sarah has that moment of we have it's like, we have more children coming in we can make more potion we have the book and Winifred goes there's no time and I wonder is it part of the potion to make it like specific for that kid that is not and if that's they the didn't case, say it and if that's the case it yeah I know I was like if that's the case it is not clearly stated, so it's confusing. But I just noticed Actually, that they Actually, it can't ha- be, because um, if it was made specifically for Danny, but Max ultimately drinks it, forcing Winifred to... But Max is her but that, brother, that, see, which I... This is not, I know. Now, now we're bending I, over backwards. I, I'm saying, I think it, if it's the case, it's poor writing. Like, that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's right, but I just noticed that they have that, like, part where she's like, we can make more potion for these other kids and there's no time. So that must mean something, but it is poorly written and they did not do that well, if that's what they're saying. I mean, that could be what they were saying. I really feel like they probably could have eaten another child. I feel that probably Sarah and Mary would have been a little bit more worried if that was their only chance. Yeah. I mean, like, even if they're like, oh, we've... If we don't have time to make more potion, but yeah, we've got still got plenty of kids. I mean, like, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I feel like the this movie probably has a lot of instances of of things being cut out that would have made the movie make more sense. But considering we're already at an hour and 38 mm-hmm. minutes, probably they were doing stuff for yeah. time. Like, for example, apparently uh, Binks explicitly can't talk to anyone who wasn't involved in the lighting of the, of the black candle, the black flame candle. Oh, that's convenient. Which is why he never talks to anyone. Because like when there's a scene where they go to their parents' party and they're trying to explain to the party that the Sanderson sisters are alive and they're wreaking havoc. And at any point, you think, well, how about get Binks on that microphone? Like they might uh, might take it a little seriously if a talking cat from the legend that they all know about is going like, yeah, what's up, dudes? Yeah, they're right there. They turned me into a cat and they ate my sister. They're going to eat you too, probably. We got to do something about this meow. We got to do something about this right meow. <laughs> but apparently uh, he can't talk unless it's under those circumstances. Because that's also why he couldn't talk to his to his father uh, in the opening sequence. Right. 
However, this is never mentioned in the film. They never mention this as being a restriction that he has. It, it's just apparently something that was understood in the production of this film, but not stated on screen, which makes it all seem like a plot hole. But if they had just made the time to just mention that, like, why didn't you tell them, Binks? Like, I can't, anyone who didn't light the candle or wasn't involved can't hear me. Boom. Done. Makes sense. But we have to, but we have to make the assumption that that's the case. What we're talking about the uh, the uh, the witch's desire to Danny specifically, maybe there was a line where they said specifically it has to be her, and it was cut out, just like the Thackeray Banks thing may have happened. So I don't know that that might be an editing problem more than anything else, rather than a writer probably it becomes a writer a writer like a a plot hole because of the editing. Anyway, um, I think we've talked... They, they cut the line where it's like, we have plenty of children, and then it's a close-up on Winifred. She's like, no. Bitches get stitches. We fly! Oh, and by the way, my, uh, my probably third or second favorite scene of this is the scene where they have to use uh, improvised broomsticks to fly. And, yeah, it's so and, good. Um, <laughs> like, uh... Um, you know, Winifred has like the modern broom. Sarah has the mop, and then Mary comes out with a vacuum cleaner, and she looks so uncertain. She goes, I was like, Winnie, uh, here we go." And it's so, so good, so good. I, I, I like the flying effect too. I think it looks uh, pretty, yeah, pretty neat. Um, anyway, um, basic thing about the plot is that I feel like the plot is actually very thin and somehow overly long. This is 100% of a character film. Like, this is a film where you are focusing on specific outrageous characters, and then you don't care that the plot is thin and that the plot is a little long. I cared that the plot was a little long, but I didn't care that much about how thin the plot was because the Sanders sisters are fucking great. Yeah. It's, like, it's, it's really all about spending time with them doing shenanigans and being weird and and then you being bummed out that you have to listen to the protagonist talk about nothing. Did you at any point during the film uh, have this rolling in your head? It's like, it's Winifred and Sarah and Mary. <laughs> I have no idea why that didn't come into my head. I am legitimately mad at myself. <laughs> work, work, it's Winifred. Work, work, and Sarah and Mary, <laughs> Sanderson sisters, we're looking for a kid that's tasty. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, let's talk about the the sisters right now. I, I I do want. I cannot overstate how good these three are in this role. It's like everyone else in the movie came. That's like okay, we're just doing like this thing. Let's just bang it out in a weekend and let's get it done. Get it done as quickly as possible. And then these three actresses come in, and there's like. Bring us all the scenery. Like, what? Bring us all the scenery. And then they just start going to lunch on that shit. <laughs> they are just, they are not chewing that scenery. They are, they are taking mouthfuls of the set is what's happening here. They are feasting. Ugh, it is, it is, it is great. It is like watching three Raul Julias in Street Fighter. Yeah, just like, they're just trying to out camp each other. And it is 
amazing. And like, it's funny because watching this and it is great. I was thinking like, you know, you don't have that many times that women get to have that kind of thing. You don't have, I just feel like there's a, a, a just a, a smaller list of these times we have women playing these characters that are really campy, bumbling. They really get to have like a lot of fun with it. And it is just a delight. It is so good. I, I, I do like it when we get to see uh, uh, an actress being able to do that sort of thing. Because like you said, it doesn't happen very often. Um, probably because uh, women don't get nearly as good of roles as frequently as men do in Hollywood. That's probably how that happens. Yeah. Um, but let's go ahead and talk about them. So Bette Midler, the legendary Bette Midler, is playing the oldest sister and leader of the group, uh, Winifred, a.k.a. Winnie. And Shade, a.k.a. Shade Queen. Yeah. So Midler has said in the past that um, Winifred is her favorite role she's ever done in a film although she has said that for other performances in film so maybe like it, it depends on on her mood but we can definitely assume that Winifred is one of her top characters that she's gotten to play and from a person who has such a legendary career as setting a line you can just you I've I don't think I've not seen Bette Miller in a ton of things but I can't imagine seeing her having as much fun as she's having here anywhere else. It's she like Winifred is the mo to the rest of her sister's three stooges. It's like, she's ostensibly the smart one and the capable one, but she's also still pretty stupid. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you're, 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 you're the smart one of dummies. It's very, very sweet. <laughs> yeah. Well, like she's smart enough to know, that they keep getting tricked, yeah. but she's still dumb enough to get tricked. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like, like she's also she she also thinks Gary Marshall is Satan. It's like it wasn't just them. <laughs> I and like I love her. Uh, yeah, I I I feel like I often talk about like people's physicality, but like this is a another one where I think she has such great physicality. Like she's very much in her hands and kind of having that creepy and very witchy kind of thing where like, you know, her hands might as well be spiders. And like at one point, you know, a, a trick or treater comes up near them and she hisses at it to like get away and her hands come out and she's and like, everything is so purposeful. I mean, you can tell this woman is on the stage because I feel like that kind of thing, I feel like is very much indicative of having stylized physicality in a stage musical. So apparently, the the first choice that the producers had for this role was Cloris Leachman. Huh. So I'm uh, huh. I'm not sure I, I'm not sure I can see it, but you know maybe I don't know. I, I guess if you're trying to find a certain archetype, I could you could make the argument that both of these actresses are in that archetype, that same archetype. So this would be like someone who really enjoyed Frau Brucher. Mm. Is that how you say nah. it, Frau Brucher? from uh young frankenstein or like i liked her and as that we could she could be a fun witch maybe that's why oh actually that would have that would have worked that would have worked very well when we got to the point where they're talking about uh where they're bringing billy back to life and like cloris leachman could have been he was my boyfriend <laughs> so that could have 
if that could have been a thing. So we got uh, Sarah Jessica Parker uh, as as Sarah. Uh, that not sure not sure if that was already supposed to be the name or what, but uh, yeah. So no, a, a fresh Prince of Bel Air thing. Oh man. In West Salem, born and raised, eating children is how I spent most of my days. Um, uh, I, I I don't. I, I'm not a. I'm not a, the biggest expert on on Parker, right? I've seen enough Sex in the City, which, as I understand it, is a show about a journalist who keeps writing columns bragging about how often she gets laid. Is that the, is that right? Is that what the show's about? And also fashion. And also fashion? Okay. I think she talks about, yeah, I, I think it, she talks about boning and fashion. I've seen most of Sex and the City, so I don't know why I'm saying I think. It's, yeah, boning and fashion. Yeah, I assume every episode is like, hey, like, hey, fans, this week I totally had sex with, like, a tall guy, and it was pretty cool. Are you guys having sex? Probably not as much as I am. Losers. That's the show, right? Also, these new Jimmy Twos are amazing. Okay, got it. Got it. Because <laughs> I haven't seen her in a ton of things, uh, but... I've never seen her more interesting and more enjoyable than as Sarah Sanderson here. Like, I agree. She is, well, first of all, Sarah is thirsty. Like, she is thirsty. <laughs> like, she wakes up and. A boy! Oh, she just wants boys. Like, that's all she wants. She just wants to be surrounded by boys, and she's just out to get it. She is as sexual as a character possibly can be in a movie that's that's title starts off with the word disney right <laughs> like moments being alive like she is just like eyeing up them firemen like she is <laughs> at some point they catch her making out with some random dude in a costume i think yeah yeah she makes out with the mummy guy yeah. at the party <laughs> I mean, I mean, she's still as gross as the rest of them, too. Like, when she's eyeing up the firemen, she also finds a spider to eat. Oh, yeah, no, you know? yeah. It's, find you a woman who can do both. Yeah, that's, that's kind of a cool thing about uh, Sarah, because, like, she could easily be the sexual one, the dumb one. But they actually kind of had both going on while also being just as much of a disgustingly evil witch as the rest of them, like, yeah, I'm going to eat spiders. Yeah, I'm totally going to lure all these children to their death in a highly predatorial manner that is definitely indicative of a lot of troubling things. Yeah, that's, that's, that's true. She is real dumb, though. Like, she is dumb, dumb, dumb. I love when they're trying to, I think it's when they're trying to get into the cemetery and they're at the gate and they can't get in or they can't get in and and uh Winifred is like talking to Mary and Sarah is like still at the gate just hanging there she's just swinging in the background <laughs> on the gate and like eventually just like Sarah come on and it's just like it's just so funny that she's just like swinging in the background on the gate and I also really love the way um way she hams it up when Winnie like hits her or or like strangles her she always has this kind of like kind of look and i just i just i just like the way she hams hams it up i think it's really fun before sarah Sarah jessica parker was hired as sarah jennifer lopez auditioned for the role see that's interesting because i don't know really enough about jlo to know her ability to do this role it would have been nice to have a person of color as one of the Sanderson sisters, so like part of me is like, oh, that's a bit of a bummer. Although that would that would but ask that I would that how... would make me like ask certain questions about their parents, though. 
Well, I mean, honestly, them being the Sanderson sisters, quote unquote, I never even really thought that they actually had to be real sisters. Oh, but also, well, they, they I talk just about feel they like, talk about mother on several occasions where they. Oh, that's true. I also I also love those moments, the synchronized things that the Sanderson sisters do, like mother. But I mean, I just you know I think it's just always nice when you can allow people of color to be in a thing. So I think in that regard, it's like, oh, that's kind of a missed opportunity. But on the other side, I very I, I very much enjoy Sarah Jessica Parker in this. I mean, this is like my favorite thing that she has ever done. So, yeah. Yeah. So next we have the, the namesake of our current marathon, Kathy Najimi, who plays Mary Sanderson. Uh, so Mary is kind of the... Kind of like uh, she's kind of weird in the sense that like because I think Sarah is definitely depicted as the boneheaded um, airhead dumb one, where Mary is more like like she's also dumb. She seems to not be as dumb as as Sarah, but it seems like she a is a complete sycophant to Winifred, probably suffering from a huge amount of codependency, and that, and seems to kind of just like lack the 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 courage and confidence to real because like I get I think I think Sarah's too dumb to care where Mary is smart enough to care and I think it all terrifies her. Well, I think the f- interesting thing about Mary versus Sarah is like yeah they're both pretty dumb but where Sarah is sexual, Mary's kind of bestial. Oh yeah. Her her loyalty to Winifred the way she she bow she growls and kind of barks sometimes the way she screams while looking at the video uh the commercial the baby (laughs) like like she's gonna get it kind of the same way like pets will react to like a bird on the screen and like a cat tries to get it uh that kind of thing and so yeah it's it's interesting they have like they both have these kind of baseline traits to them honestly you know in a, in a way kathy najimi kind of reminds me a little bit about uh, of christopher lloyd as uncle fester from like the the Ooh. first one or the first Adam's family movie there's just like because like like you were saying the kind of bestial nature very present in uncle fester in that first one also there's just like this all this mum like she doesn't like a lot of her best lines are mumbled i <laughs> got if you if i didn't know that this was the same woman who played peggy hill for like 10 years you'd never would be able to convince me like it's just such a different performance there and just such different cadence such different like um tone and well we don't really see her facial expressions when she's voicing peggy hill but she's got a lot of good facial expressions in this film yeah i mean it just goes to show you that she is just a a a really talented person and can do a lot of interesting different things which once again woman should have had more roles than she did i mean she's still like acting and doing stuff but i just feel like there there should be a a larger treasure trove of kathy najimi movies i think she should have led more movies so rosie o'donnell was offered the role initially she turned it down good riddance i I wouldn't have wanted that. Like, I'm not here for that at all. I, I would not have liked that. <laughs> what? She could have brought a little bit of New York into the into this, the acting. Ugh, God. I don't know if I'm still sore about Tarzan or what. But I was like, <laughs> no. No. 
I rebuke that. We could have had Rosie O'Donnell here, and then we could have had, instead of Bette Miller or Sarah Jessica Parker doing any singing, it could have just been um, Phil Collins. It would have been great. <laughs> I want to know about these Sanderson's. Oh, it would have been like, <laughs> I want to know about these witches like me. And it's like Danny learning all everything she can about the Sanderson sisters. Yeah, in my mind, I'm literally just picturing all the songs that were in the movie just sung by Phil Collins. Ugh. God, here's who you don't want to sing that Come Little Children song. Phil Collins. <laughs> <laughs> no one needs that. No one wants it. All right, uh, let's let's move on to the other characters, but there's really not a lot to talk about most of them. As, like we said, you know, the protagonists, the actual protagonists of this film are not very interesting. Uh, frankly, and I think this, this is uh, something that you might have agreed with. I don't know. This is the first time I can remember in my, in my childhood rooting for the villain because i actively remember watching this movie hoping every time that somehow the tenors and sisters would win you know what i think there's a good chance that that is the case because even when we talked about like say little mermaid like in hindsight i very much enjoy ursula but as a child i was still in the in the realm of the princess wins and so yeah, yeah this might have been one of the first times I started thinking like well, I mean the cooler folks are the villains I mean like on a normal day it would be hard for protagonists to be able to to compete with the level of campy ham that these three opened up but in this case the the really the script kind of fails the actors of having any chance of being able to do so because the three protagonists are just not very good. Like we talked about it, we talked about it already, but to kind of go into it. So like, uh, Omri Katz, I believe is his, is his name, uh, plays Max. Yeah. You know, he does a decent enough job. Max is just kind of an annoying kid. Like he's he's bold. I will give him that. Like I that kid has balls. Like I I am I I my jaw kind of dropped when he made that big spectacle with the teacher in the class only to end up giving his number to a girl in front of everybody yeah i mean who does that i mean like give your girl give a girl a number but just making a big spectacle of that in front of the whole class i mean like all she has to do is say no and then your entire high school life is probably has an asterisk next to it for the like after that i mean that is like so bold so bold but he's also not i don't know he's like he's he's annoying when it's when you don't want to be annoying he's a coward when you don't necessarily want to be annoying i don't think there's a very clear character arc you can argue that the character arc that he learns to care about his sister except that very early in the movie when they have their first big fight over him taking her trick or treating and he's not into it and she's like i want to go home and then he takes the time to comfort her and basically apologize like we already know he loves his sister. Yeah. Like, we already know. Yeah. I mean, she gets better. Yeah, she does get better. Um, but he's clearly the protagonist of the three, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's just kind of a jerky teenage kid, and there's not a lot of qualities he has to redeem that aspect of him. So it's kind of a problem. Uh, Danny, who is played by Thora Birch, who, unlike um, Cats, is still working in Hollywood. Yeah, she was in Ghost World with Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, I uh, I've never seen Ghost World, so I didn't know. <laughs> Me neither, but it seems like a good thing to bring up. Anyway, uh, Danny sucks. Like she's a, a she's a very annoying younger sister character that uh, it's just 
seems to be there to be super annoying. Man, she definitely um, sets up her brother to look like a fool at any opportunity she had. Like, 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 well, okay, here's the thing that, like, it's, I, like, I, once the plot really gets going, you know, it calms down. But, like, her, I don't know, her reaction to her brother's sexuality is kind of off-putting to me. Like when she's hiding in his closet and like she comes out and scares him and you know, she's playing around with him like cause he was kind of like talking to himself about like, you know, Allison and he's like, uh-huh. And she like rolls around on his bed and she's like, Ooh, I'm Allison, kiss me, I'm Allison. And then when they see Allison, the first thing she does is start talking about Allison's boobs and how she doesn't have boobs yet to fill out a dress like this all this kind of like weird stuff is like i don't have boobs yet my brother likes your boobs yabos as she says yeah, she says yabos. Uh, that she says that he says and it's just like i'm gonna need you to like bring like you're making me uncomfortable i feel so bad for max in these moments <laughs> like uh. yeah not much to say about Danny. I mean, like, I don't think that uh, we had the best child acting in this film that I've ever seen um, from a child actress. But, uh, I mean, I've seen worse, too. I'd say that uh, I've not seen Thora Birch in anything else. And when I say, I mean, like, she's, like she literally still acts today. Like, she's doing stuff these days. I don't know what she's like as an adult actress. As a child actress, she's midly middling she's no uh christina ricci but then again who is yeah there you go and you know christina ricci has other spoopy movies to do allison who we're talking about uh we've kind of accidentally already talked about all the aspects of allison's personality while talking about other characters because this allison is uh i'm gonna say a category in the category one of the prince eric love interest personality scale i this because, like, okay, Danny's so-so acting, you could chalk it up to, like, I mean, she is young. She is still a kid. And, God, like, the Alice and stuff, whew, she she kind of reminds me, and sometimes uh, there's, like, an episode of Parks and Rec where Ben and April are working in uh dc and they're doing the campaign for this guy i don't remember if he was like a senator or something like that but uh he had showed like no emotion and they were trying to see if he was indeed a robot and like just testing things out to see if he ever showed like real emotions and this thought came to me at the beginning of the movie where they're they're they've cut from the classroom scene to being outside and Max rides his bike up to uh, get Alice's attention and she's just walking by and she has the most vapid, the director told me to start walking, walk, and it is the most awkward thing ever. If someone told me that a plot point that they dropped was that Allison was stealing her mom's Xanax, and it isn't until like the progression of the night where the Xanax started wearing off, I'd be like, "Oh, okay, that's interesting. That makes <laughs> that answers a lot of questions." Mm. Like, I mean, her parents are rich, so if if she, yeah, I, I I feel like if someone told me that she spent most of the movie zonked on Xanax, I would have appreciated it. 
there's really not lots to talk about Allison. Uh, the most interesting thing I found about Allison in this film was that she kind of punks Max a little bit early in the movie when he gives her yeah. his number, and then she gives him paper back, and he's like, oh, she's giving me hit her number, and it turns out she did not. And that's not really much, which is sad in itself, but I do like that uh, she's like, no, you're in fact not someone I'm interested in, and I'm not going to placate you, which say, shows a little bit of agency yes. on her part. Uh, but the rest of the film, literally the other 99% of the film, she is a wooden block who makes almost no difference to the plot whatsoever. Yeah. Like, she's just another uh, semi-adult person for Max to talk to, and that is her only purpose in this film. She could have been replaced by a friend, another schoolmate. She could have been replaced by one of the bullies, and it would have <laughs> been basically the same, ex- except probably a little less almost kissing. Yeah, like, he get that blonde one. They're totally interchangeable. Yeah. So I want to talk about uh, Thackeray Binks, who is in fact played Thackeray by two people. Binks. So he's played by two people, but voiced only by one. Even the live action shots of the um, live action actor is still dubbed by the voice actor, which I had a real hard time with watching the film because, like, first of all, Jason Martin, aka Max Goof, from uh, from a goofy movie plays the voice of Thackeray Binks. And every time we saw the live action guy, I kept being like, that doesn't look like Jason Marston, but it sounds like Jason Marston. I know. And it, cause I kept for, I kept forgetting that that was a thing. And yeah, it, it was confusing. What I was not expecting, however, was the kid who played the live action version, the, uh, actor sean murray better known as mcgee from ncis i saw that isn't that funny that is so weird i like because like clearly he was cast in this role to be a pretty boy like to be like a pretty boy heartthrob like type of type of person like he's i'm certain that he was brought in like they cast him from like a, a casting call looking for like a river phoenix type right and mm. and i'm thinking about that it's like that guy grew up to be McGee. That's that's weird. Like I said earlier, I remember Binks being a lot more integral to the plot than he ended up being in this uh, watch through. I mean, he's fine. He doesn't actually do that much, and it's kind of hard to really talk too much about him. The thing that gets me about Thackeray, I can't. God, I I, I just can I cannot say that name seriously. I just I, it's it's sad to have a name that has a built in lisp. The thing about Thackeray is he he can't he cannot stay in his lane accent wise and it drives me nuts. He keeps wavering between like some kind of Britishy sounding things and then very American and like there are times where he does it mid sentence. Like at the end, you know, well like he'll say like Emily, like he's trying to be kind of Britishy. And then, like, completely change it around. And, like, at the end, where, like, Emily's like, Thackeray Binks, what took you so long? And she's like, harumphing in a playful way. He goes, I had to wait 300 years for a virgin to light a candle. And I'm just like, decide if you are just going to make this just an American or you're going to make this a British guy in early colony times. Like, you have to pick one because it is driving me nuts that's that was heavy on my heart throughout the whole movie 
Um, yeah, I, I, I wish we had more to say about Binks. So I don't think we do. Well, let's move on to Billy, who I, I only, I mean, like, uh, we probably could have talked about him regardless, but I specifically, specifically want to talk about him because of who plays him. That is Doug yeah. Jones, who is a name you might, might sound familiar. His face would almost certainly not look familiar because he is most famous for playing many characters in film who are constantly covered in some sort of fantastical body makeup like uh let's see he yeah, prosthetics for days yeah, like a big guillermo del toro guy yeah like he is the the fish man in the shape of water um he was abe sapien shockingly sexual yeah. oh god that was such a that was such a sexual movie like oh my goodness Oh my goodness! Um, yeah, I remember seeing that. I remember seeing that in theaters with the cast member, and just watching this is like, God, this is a bummer. I really don't like this. Uh, he also plays a uh, sapien, a different fish man in the original Hellboy movies. Uh, he he has like kind of like goggles. He, yeah, he did have goggles. Yes, I'm trying to remember if I'm thinking of the right person. Right, sure. Uh, he also currently oh oh also he played the Baron. In uh, what we do in the shadows. Oh right, and yeah, what I mean, he really gets a lot of uh, a, a lot of distance is having that like long, lanky body, so yeah. you can have those full body suits. Yeah, yeah, he, he was really good at that. Yeah, he he currently plays uh, Saru on uh, Star Trek Discovery, which is so I, I find that kind of a weird role for him because he is actually sixty years old. Like you don't really think about that too much, and because he's constantly in makeup you'll think of him as being that old but i i I, man what a bummer to be 60 years old have to go into work every every day and then have like at least two hours of makeup put on you every day like they'll make it way more sophisticated than than what wharf would have had or what data would have had i mean like you can get near two hours of makeup done just when you have a wig so like who knows how long it's taken to get all that shit on in any event it looks like hocus pocus as he plays the zombie billy butcherson might be one of his earliest if not his earliest full body makeup role that he would become almost exclusively famous for so we also a fantastic thirsty sarah moment with his intro hello billy oh yeah (laughs) Uh, one thing about Billy, then we'll move on from characters. Uh, my favorite scene of him is when he's brought back to life as the zombie, and he takes a look at the Sanderson sisters, and he just has this exasperated sigh. Is <laughs> like, God damn it! It's like, 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 like he looks, he looks at them. He looks at his gravestone. Is like, fuck. <laughs> all right, all right. Here I go. I'll do your dark, your your dark works. <laughs> Although I don't understand Ugh. why he suddenly um, turns on them at the end, um, like I I understand why he would turn on them, but I don't understand why he waits so long to do it. Because apparently there's no repercussions for him for doing so. He doesn't just you know turn to dust. He doesn't like stop working. He apparently isn't actually under their control. He's just under their, I guess, their instruction. So why did he, why didn't he like wake up and like Billy get him and then like he's like just flip him off and then just go back to sleep. Yeah, because like even if he's not trying to to harm the children, he's still chasing them. He's so even if you're chasing them to be like 
you can't you can't tell because I can't speak, but I'm okay. You're still like chasing him and you're and chasing them and you're a zombie. So you know, grain of salt with your appearance, dude. You cannot tell me that at no point during that whole night, he especially the periods of time where he just disappeared from the movie, that he didn't come across a single sharp object that he could have gotten his mouth like cut open like earlier. I'm not saying that the only reason he didn't join forces with them was because he couldn't explain that he wasn't chasing them but i feel like that's not a great excuse if it is the reason like come on yeah and considering how unafraid that the the characters are of him as soon as he switched sides like they don't care that he's a living a living dead man they don't care that they've seen him decapitated multiple times they're like hi billy yeah uh, okay so let's move on um so there are a couple musical numbers. We can talk about them really quickly. But before that, I do want to mention that the movie was composed by John Debney. Apparently, James Horner was originally supposed to do it, but a conflict came up, so he wasn't able to complete the whole thing. But apparently, did come back to write one song for him. That was Sarah's theme, which is the song that Sarah sings to zatnatize all the children in Salem. I guess there's two major musical sequences here. One is, of course, Sarah's theme, which Sarah Jessica Parker is on a broom singing, or a mop at this point, maybe, uh, singing to yep. children. And there is there is a sort of like a dreamlike, like ethereal quality to this that is both unsettling and sort of captivating there. And also, I was a little surprised to learn that Sarah Jessica Parker actually does her own singing. Not simply because uh, I don't believe she, she can sing. It's just that it seems that every time... Uh, someone is shows up in a Disney movie, they they are overdubbed by somebody else. Well, here's a fun fact about Sarah Jessica Parker. Like we all know that Bette Midler is a Broadway diva. We talked about that um, in one of our lost episodes about Oliver and Company. Yeah. But Sarah Jessica Parker actually played Annie on Broadway when she was a kid. I personally think that by the time she did it, she was a bit too tall. I think she was. I think she kind of aged out of it. But yeah, she was. She was one of the one of the Annies uh, on Broadway. So she she is. Yeah, she can sing. Probably in the kind of way where like you can you can kids sing, but maybe you you didn't keep going and training to kind of have like as strong as a, an adult voice. But like yeah. Yeah, I mean, like I don't know enough about Parker to know about her singing ability but i was just pleasantly surprised that this was not necessarily a film where they didn't hire actors who could sing the singing parts so that was that was it was nice another point for this movie honestly yeah and i loved this song as a kid this is, like i said it's a very soothing song that is incredibly unsettling when you are thinking about it in context but like just like you know her and the night on the broom um, the most attractive of the three witches, like the one most approachable, like this, 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 this almost like you're having like a dream and your dream girl, so to speak, is calling out to you. But then in reality, it is a monster who has come to take your soul and you're falling for it. And that is absolutely terrifying. Yeah, that's like that's old timey bandit like old-timey fairy tale kind of shit was like that is yeah that is really off-putting but the funny thing about that and and in different like movies and stories where you know uh, magical creatures or fairies or something uh steal kids 
and it always seems so easy to steal children. And I'm just like, is it really that easy for a kid to just be like, and I know like in this scenario, she's like legitimately hypnotizing them. But in those moments, it was like, is it really that easy to just for, for magical creatures to just like steal kids? And honestly, uh, it was like two years ago, I was at the Bristol Renaissance Fair in Wisconsin and we were hanging out watching the, the court hang out. And so like the queen and, uh, and other court people, they're all dressed up. And there was a group of people who were playing the fairies and they're in full, just beautiful fairy garb. They're all in different colors and they have full makeup and it's lovely. And one of the people working at the Ren Fair who was in the court had a toddler. The kid looked to be like two or three. And so she was sitting with them and the fairies come up and the kid just goes straight to the fairies and she's like starting to play with them. And at one point, the fairies just like kidnap this kid. Like they just lure this child away. And I was like, oh my God, it's really easy to get yourself a changeling. Like, <laughs> they, they ch- and like, it was so funny because like they like, they, they kind of like go like, uh, you know, invite the kid to kind of come along with them. And like, she's just like, going with them and they go away and like the mom's like okay i'm gonna go get her and like, she goes away and i was like yeah apparently like it's easy as shit to lure kids it's really scary when you think about it all in all the red fair was very good that's all i'm saying it was so good it lured away children to their doom <laughs> um but the the big uh musical number is bet midler doing a rendition of uh put a spell on you is that the name of the song i think it, yeah i put a spell on yeah, you. yeah i put a spell yeah which is, I think that's the thing that everyone remembers. Like, I, for the longest time, would refuse to accept any other version of this song anywhere else yeah. I heard it. Yeah, it was very sad. I, it's it's not on Spotify, which uh, bummed me out because I wanted to put it on a playlist. <sighs> it's so good. If you're going to hire Bette Miller to come in to do something where she gets to be super campy and super uh, scenery chewy, give her a musical number for sure. Mm-hmm. That like the the guys doing this movie knew what the hell they were doing. Yeah, and here's a funny thing that I noticed watching it this time that I'm not sure if I had paid attention to before, but at the beginning of the number, you know, they go onto the stage, and Bette Miller goes, "My name is Winifred. What's yours?" Uh, which is a reference to the musical Gypsy, and that same year, Bette Midler played the character Mama Rose in the movie musical of, of Gypsy. Uh, so it's like, that's kind of funny. I don't know if she just improv- like improvised that because it was like kind of in her head anyway. For like musical theater people, it's like, oh, it's uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, cool. I think, that's, I think that's pretty much most of the things. So, Ariel, what would you rate this film? Would you give it a thumbs up, a thumbs down, or a thumb somewhere in the middle? Well, you know, with the with the thin plot and the garbage children, you would think that I might be leading towards the middle. But I just, I love the Sanderson sisters so much that it's still a thumbs up. Like, I put a spell on you is still a hundo my jam. And when you get to the end and uh, Bette Midler just blasts it, you're like, yes, this movie is everything. This movie is everything anyone could ever want. 
it's fine. Thumbs up from me. Yeah, you know, um, I'm actually going to give it a thumbs up as well. A low thumbs up. Like, the plot is very thin. It overstays its welcome. The main characters are trash. But the the Sanderson sisters really, really make up the difference like uh, there were parts of this film where i was falling asleep being super bored i was watching it kind of later than i normally would but i was also laughing out loud during the antics of the sisters and it was thoroughly enjoyable i love them and i am actually upset that this is the only time we ever got to see these three actors playing these characters in something as unfortunately the movie didn't do very well it didn't do very didn't do very well critically either so it was only made popular by its cult status after the fact so nothing really uh, nothing worked out that said they have been trying to make a sequel of some sort for the last many number of years uh and supposedly something's in production right now and i don't know what it's gonna look like i don't know if it's a sequel i don't know if it's a, a remake i don't know if it's just like a, a reboot with like maybe different characters in the same universe um apparently at some point tina fey was attached to write and star in it you get a uh, tina fey amy poehler uh maybe one other actress who might be a, a, a good chunk younger than the both of them to kind of be the sarah role then you maybe you've got Maybe that could work, depending on who that third actress is. I could maybe see that sort of thing. But I don't know if I'm really ready to see a remake or a sequel of uh, to uh, to this film. Although, all three, uh, you know, Midler, Jimmy, and Parker, all are down. Like They've been saying for years that they'd be happy to, to uh, re- revisit this film. I think at this point, they're all maybe a bit... Uh, I don't know, like maybe maybe it could work out, maybe maybe it wouldn't. It would kind of be such a different feeling than the first one. Maybe the you answer can't, is... You can't do the, well, younger joke twice. Yeah, yeah, you can't. <laughs> um, maybe the answer is an animated film. Get the original actors to, to voice the characters, and maybe that works out a little better. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I would want a reboot. Like, I mean, I just... I just get so transported with what they do. Like even from like the beginning when they're doing the curse on Thackeray and they're doing the like, was it Ikeda Copeda Magica Mystica and the way they do that. It's just like, I just, I don't know. I don't want anyone else to do stuff. Let me have my thing that I like. Yeah. Okay. So I think that's going to do it for us for this week. Uh, So next week we are going to wrap up our, our Kathy Najimathon, but uh, we'll be wrapping up with number three here. We're going to be looking at yet another film that she was in but did not star in, and uh, a film from the golden age of Whoopi Goldberg. And like, funny enough, we'll get into casting next week, but these movies are connected. Uh, this movie and uh, sister, <laughs> the next one. Yes, this one is this Sister Act. The Whoopi Goldberg vehicle where she is hiding out at a, at a nunnery. Someone said, get thee to a nunnery, and she took it literally. So that future African-American nuns can say when everyone goes, a black nun? And then they can go, and why not? We're for Sister Act. Oh, God. Now I'm just picturing Kathy Najibi, like, going to a bunch of female KKK members and being like, oh, ladies, 
look what I got here. They pull out Whoopi Goldberg. Whoopi Goldberg is like, where the where the where the white blokes at? No, like where, where the white priest at? <laughs> uh, but yeah, we'll be uh, visiting that. I, if I recall, Ariel, this is a really important film for you from childhood. So I'm hoping that uh, we'll be able to get uh, deep into that. But um, for now, we'll uh, head head out, hit that old dusty trail. You know, we can be reached again at email uh, adult siblings versus at gmail.com. Tweet us at, tweet at us at adult versus on Twitter and you know, check us out on Facebook. Uh, our theme song is Sellout by Zombie Apocalypse now from the EP Forbidden Tales of Science. You can find that and more at antizombierock.bandcamp.com. I guess nothing else to say, but happy Halloween to all you guys out there. And hopefully you guys can have as good a time as you possibly can uh, with circumstances in uh, 2020 being what they are. Hopefully you have some semblance of a good time. Well, just remember, if you've always wanted to have a child, now you can have one. On toast! Yeah, you know, I think, uh, I, think, I, I, think uh, I think my wife and I might have been talking to that part. But, you know... In 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 fact, I also would like to have uh, a child, and I would, but I would like to have peanut butter on toast. So personally, I prefer yeah. to separate my children from my food. Now, I know that's not yeah. for everybody, and maybe it's a little controversial, but I think that from my point of view, you want to separate your children from your um, from your stomach. Perhaps uh, the most reasonable version of separate but equal, you know, children and food. Ah uh, yes, uh, the the children get their own train car, and the toast gets its own train car. That's how it works. Ashley, I'm fine as with that. Like if if yeah. my food and, and children are in different places, I think that's fine. Okay. All right. Well, um, <laughs> well, we're gonna head out uh, until next time, guys. As always, please do not put a dirty sock in your younger siblings' mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>